Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! guys welcome back to wrestle rant radio for thursday may 20th 2021 i'm graham gs matthews hope you guys are doing well and having a great week uh, may 20th is like a weird day for me well not just me specifically but like it was on this day may 20th four years ago i graduated with my undergrad from college four years ago 10 years ago so like that's a great memory 10 years ago i remember being so upset when i found out on this day a decade ago it's crazy to think it's been 10 years that Macho Man Randy Savage passed away. That was 10 years ago. How wild is that? Uh, but we have a great show on tap for you fine folks here today talking all things WrestleMania Backlash, Zombies Galore, Raw, NXT, and Dynamite from this past week, and the big news from AEW, they're moving to TBS next year, along with their new show on Fridays called Rampage. A lot of talk about that here coming up with Mr. Marceau. But before then, we have a very special guest here on the show today. Former WWE champion, WWE Raw superstar, Drew McIntyre, talking all about his new book. Um, This interview was recorded early last week, so right before WrestleMania Backlash, we get to, you know, we kind of get into the pay-per-view a little bit, but a majority of the interview is about the book, which I have here right next to me. I got to get into it. It's been way too, I've had it for a little while now, and I just haven't had the time to really, really get into it, so I'm looking forward to doing that this weekend, but you guys can check out the book now and Audible, I believe it's on, and uh, other audio books, and you know, anywhere you could find books, really, Barnes and Noble, and all these other stores. You know, I saw it at Target last week, which was cool. But um, yeah, be sure to check out Drew McIntyre's new book, and uh, check out this exclusive interview as well. You can check out the video version of this interview right now over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Gramgius and Matthews. It went up about a week ago. So if you're not already subscribed, please do so. You're going to want to catch these interviews as soon as they're uploaded to the channel before they make it here to WrestleRant Radio. You can also check it out in article form over on Bleach Report as well. So without further ado, let's get right into it. My conversation with WWE superstar Drew McIntyre. What's going on, guys? Graham Jason Matthews here with BleachReport.com. Today we're talking to two-time WWE champion, WrestleMania headliner, and author of Drew McIntyre, Our Chosen Destiny, right here, out in stores right now. Uh, Drew, what's going on, man? How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. How about yourself? Doing great. Is it weird to hear the author title kind of attached to your name now after all these years? Yes. It's very, very <laughs> weird. I cannot believe that I have a book. It's here. It exists. It's in my hand. The first ever book I read cover to cover was Mick Foley's Have a Nice Day. Uh, when I was about 13 or so, uh, I probably should have read other books, you know, for my English essays that I wrote at the time, but you can skim those things and put together pretty good essays. So it's wild. All these years later, starting with Foley's book and all the other countless wrestlers books that I've got my eyes on that I have one of my own at 35. Were you like me in doing your book reports in school on wrestling autobiographies? I did whenever I got the opportunity, unless they allocated us, you know, better <laughs> a salesman or whatever, and we had no choice. I certainly always made it about wrestling. I gave a talk 
um, to my English class one time on wrestling. And I remember I, I talk about it in the book, the, the Secrets of Wrestling books um, by Dennis Brent and Percy Pringle. I kind of use them as my template to put together my uh, my talk. And I got two different VHS players and kind of put together my own highlight video and played a CD in the background and showed this highlight video while doing my English talk and using my notes. And the co- I got an A for it, which was cool for one. And years later, I told Percy Pringle, Paul Bear, hey, I kind of plagiarized some of your book, <laughs> some of your words. <laughs> and, I got, and I got an A and he thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I feel like it's the projects that you're most passionate about, especially when it comes to like wrestling or something like that, that you're always going to get the A's on. Like one of my favorite projects, I did it, a book report on Batista's first autobiography, like 15 years ago as a freshman in high oh, school. And uh, it was just, you know, it, it, it's always like that. That was when you do your best work. Um, you mentioned that you mentioned uh, Mick Foley's have a nice day. You mentioned that on raw talk last week, any other wrestling autobiographies that you either read growing up or read in the last couple of years that kind of gave you tips and inspiration for writing this book. The eyes in so many wrestling books. If you just start naming them, I've probably read them. I remember like <laughs> WWE were releasing books like crazy after Foley's. There was a The Rock one, a Stone Cold one, an Edge one, a Kurt Angle one. Like I powered through all of those guys, but then I also got my eyes on you know Bret Hart's Dynamite Kids. This is just off the top of my head. Like a countless amount of wrestling books you know, that I put my eyes on. And I know she also said you did a book report in Batista 15 years ago. Now I signed with WWE. 13 years ago and I was on the road with Batista about that time so that's pretty crazy like two years yeah, after you yeah. did a book report on him I was traveling on the road which makes me feel pretty old I've been around for a long time though I remind everybody you know 35 just because I've been around for 20 years and WWE television for about 13 I'm still 35 I still get years left <laughs> that's the crazy thing too because I think you've been back with a company now for four years do you get fans or just people in general that you that think that you're still new to the product like you've only been here four or five years of course you're becoming champion now but you got to remind people that you actually you know you started with a company like you said 13 years ago 2008 arrived on the main roster in 09 do you still get that experience with people do they think i'm one of the newer guys yeah yeah and having just you know returned to the main roster a few years ago yeah yeah, a lot of people um like our audience is ever um changing and adding new new fans to the wwe universe especially the younger fans and they think i've just been around for you know, a few years, unless they caught the, um, you know, lead up to WrestleMania last year, we could have talked about my history and lent into it. But you'd be surprised that my people don't I actually know my history and I get the opportunity to tell them about it through the book here, obviously. Uh, but in real life, whenever I get the chance to do it, you know, I sat with one of our um, newer commentators last night and we had a little talk about my history. And, you know, he's kind of still learning the business, learning everybody's story. And he was blown away when he learned um, that I sang so young and how many um, experiences I've had and all the ups and downs. And of course I told him, get yourself a chosen destiny. It'll fill you in on everything. <laughs> but yeah, whenever I get the chance to, to tell the story, it does kind of blow people's minds that, wow, you had a whole other first chapter of a WWE career before this current one. Yeah. And it's all covered in the book. Like you said, uh, the book came out last Tuesday. So a week from when we're speaking right now, have you had a chance to go out in the last week? Obviously you're a busy guy being a WWE superstar, but to go out to a target or a Walmart or a Barnes and Noble, I was at target the other day and I saw it alongside John Cena's new book, which was really cool. Have you had a chance to see it yet on the bookshelves? Yes. It's crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. I really can't wrap my head around that. Uh, I go to the local target here and see myself on the bookshelf and, like, I, and I never saw Cena's book beside mine. Please get me a photograph of that. Like, stuff like that. I'm still, like, a wrestling fan. I'm at heart, the biggest mark of all time. And 
Um, I think that's what people kind of saw over the past year and why I started relating to, to our fans a little bit more when they realized, like, oh, he doesn't kind of look like all of us, but he is just one of us. And stuff like that still blows my mind to this day. In the last week, or really, I guess, since before the book came out publicly, um, has anyone had a chance to read it, whether it be your fa- uh, you know, uh, friends, family, peers that have given you some cool feedback to the book? Like, oh, either I didn't know this or I thought this was awesome, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of people, um, friends from Scotland um, who were there in the beginning stages of my career and kind of were the, I guess, the godfathers of the modern day British slash Scottish wrestling scene were amazed that um, the kind of genesis of it all, the story of it all is now in print for everybody to see and their names are tied to us. They were excited their names were in there for one, but I also had the head of the Scottish Wrestling Hall of Fame as part of the British Wrestling Hall of Fame committee write a review I was just reading earlier and he was so excited that you know a big part um, of British wrestling history is covered in the book so they're very mm-hmm. excited about that um, and myself is one of the more established uh, British wrestlers and first ever British WWE champion but it's very cool to hear like my brother and dad uh, message me and kind of talk about our family story uh, being in print and my mom's story in particular is no longer with us and um, was obviously I talk about in the book but the difficult really difficult point in my life um, but you know, they're excited it's down there and I told my dad that I said that we're putting this out for the main reason is I want to help people through my story it's going to be written for wrestling fans and new fans to wrestling but the main theme is talking about the down times in my life and how I was able to overcome them and achieve my dreams especially during this time we're living in right now perhaps we can help a few people but at the same time you know our family legacies they're right there in that book too which is really cool yeah and like you said I think you just you know, said it perfectly just right there that it's not just a wrestling book. It's a book that anyone can really relate to. When you've heard your story before, like you said, you had the 24 treatment last year, which was great. You were on Broken Call Sessions with Stone Cold Steve Austin. But this really reaches a wider audience to where you don't have to have a Peacock account to read your story. Now, anyone can see just walking through Target or a Barnes and Noble, which is awesome um, with the book itself. And I know you mentioned when you started writing it, how it kind of came about. What was that process like for you? Was it, you know, we, we hear from a lot of writers and as a writer, myself i'm curious was it extremely frustrating to the point where you would never do it again and you wouldn't recommend it to anyone or was it equally rewarding to where you might be open to the idea of doing another book down the road uh, i mean i'd be open to it um the response thus far for this one has been really cool um of course that is my actual life story if it was a negative response about that <laughs> matter everybody hates my life and my story <laughs> uh, so yeah you never know what the future holds but the process was really cool um there's a lot of stuff in there that i don't think about often and i perhaps haven't thought about since when it happened you know like the wwe life moves pretty fast and you got to kind of be present in the moment and to go back over my entire life especially my time over the past 13 years in america was awesome and just to see what I've been through, the lessons I've learned, and not just my own stuff. The biggest thing to me that stood out was the amount of people that helped and supported and sacrificed along the way to make me not just the wrestler I am today, but the man I am today. And gave me a greater appreciation for my support system. And so I had a chance to kind of reach out to a lot of people, remind them of some stories and thank them for always being there. But uh, yeah, I love the process. I re- remembered something like during, I, I think my last interview I hadn't talked about publicly that um the house I'm in right now, uh, when my wife and I um, bought our first house, it was, I think I was out WWE for maybe a year at the time. And um, I remember we were looking for a place. We had our first apartment together. I talk about in the book how I got fired three days after we moved into our first apartment together. Mm-hmm. But about a year later, uh, when things were going pretty well, we we're looking for a house and 
there was this one here that we're looking at. We're like, maybe it's a little out with our means right now, but there was this little table and it's just outside the office here that I looked at. Um, and I said to, to her when we're walking around the house, I was like, one day I'm going to pen my memoirs at this table right here. She was like, all right, Drew, whatever. So <laughs> uh, we're sitting in the apartment and uh, she gets a phone call from her friend who was the uh, real estate agent and basically said that house is about to go. Um, it's like a new house, a new community. You really have to give an answer right now. And she said, what do you think? Probably not the best idea. And I happened to be watching like a Sylvester Stallone documentary <laughs> at mm-hmm. the time. And um, he kind of t- told the story about how he had the Rocky script and Hollywood were trying to buy it. He had no money to the point he had to sell his dog at a gas station to live, but he still refused to like, give up on his dream. He had the specific vision in mind that he was going to pull it off one way or another. He was going to will it into existence. And I just imagined myself writing the book one day at that table. And for some reason, <laughs> thanks to Sylvester Stallone in that documentary, I went, we're getting that house. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> and sure enough, this is the house we're still living today. I may have, done most of the book work where I'm sitting right now but it's three feet from where I imagined it happened yeah. so that was a pretty cool story that I just remembered literally last week oh that's funny in an alternate universe if you're not doing it in your house and if it's not a pandemic would you still be writing this book like on the airplane for example I mean you're, you'd be more on the road than you would be right now do you still think that you would have been able to get the job done and getting this book written or I must have made it easier just being able to write it from your house way easier <laughs> yeah i mean i still would have got done like again it wasn't my ideal you know what the world needs right now is a drew mcintyre book <laughs> like it was brought to my attention that you know your story you're very open about it um, and every medium you're on like interviews and on television would you be willing to tell it maybe help a few people that's why why it started and if that opportunity came i, I would have absolutely took it to help anyone out there but yeah being at home obviously <laughs> made it a lot easier i got a bit more free time than i used to have which was no free time in the past uh, to really go into it and really talk to family members and uh, friends who have a lot better memory than me. Like a lot of that period of the book, especially the difficult times, is like a bit of a haze. So I was able to you know, get a lot of people helping me, reminding me and uh, reliving some of the moments, to be honest, which as I talk about in the book is healthy to kind of be more open with your emotions, something I was not good with in the past. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, too, about, you know, kind of gathering these stories and remembering things you haven't thought about in a long time. And again, as, as a writer myself, I'm curious and as someone who wants to write a book someday um, in that in gathering these stories, especially with stories that, you know, you may thought would never be, you know, in, in a book for everyone to read. And getting like the, I guess permission might be the right word. Like, do you have to get permission for certain stuff from certain people? Like, hey, this is going to be in the book, and now we're going to have to share this for the entire world to see. Was that a tough process for you, or was it kind of easy just kind of asking all these people? Yeah, not really. Uh, it's not like a book where I'm like going into all the <laughs> dirt and trying to sell stories. Yeah, exactly. With, neg- with negativity, like yeah, it's positive. Like, uh, I mean, the only negative stuff is like on me. And kind of the lessons I learned um, on the way, but for everybody else, like it's just um, fairly positive. For the family stuff, I did have to speak to my dad and brother and make sure they were comfortable with, you know, putting out some family stuff and mm-hmm. um, talking so in depth uh, about, you know, some of our personal stories and my mom's personal stories. And they're good with it. Like their mentality is the same as mine. Um, anyway, we can keep her memory alive and tell her story. What an incredible woman. Uh, she was there all about it so that was the one thing I just wanted to make sure it was cool and you know run it past the misses of course you know as we <laughs> talk about in the book I was mildly out of control for a period of my life and she stood by my side and we kind of went into some of those stories so as long as they were comfortable in my close family then everybody else can yeah. deal with it because there's nothing negative in there about them <laughs> 
Well, like you said, it's a good thing this book isn't completely burying anyone. It's not like a tell-all to the point where, like, it's just negative stuff. Like, it's all positive stuff. So, and a lot of the yeah, stuff. I, mean, I don't, don't see the point of that either. Like, uh, I see people <laughs> like when they get released from WWE and they're just so negative and bitter and blame everybody else and don't take a look in the mirror. And I was never that guy from day yeah. one. I was just like accountable. Like for my actions, I don't see the point of being negative, burning bridges, anything like that, because negativity can only bring negativity and positivity, even if you're going through a pretty negative time, can hopefully yield some positivity, but you know the result is negative. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned too, I mean, the timing of this book is just so incredible. You talked about your mother, you talk about your mother in the book. It's got to be amazing for this book to be coming out around Mother's Day. It came out last Tuesday, but the first you know, Mother's Day was two days ago as we speak. So the timing couldn't really be any better either. Yeah, that was really cool. And uh, a lot of people, um, I mean, Mother's Day is a different day in the UK than it is here. Oh, okay. but, uh, with Mother's Day being when it um, is in America and being released in America around Mother's Day, I got a lot of people sending me messages, um, you know, on Mother's Day, uh, on, like around this time in the past mm-hmm. few days, even leading up to Mother's Day, um, saying that, uh, you know, happy Mother's Day to my mom. So that was really cool. That's awesome. And you mentioned all the interviews you've done promoting this book, promoting WrestleMania, WrestleMania Backlash coming up this weekend on Peacock. You've been in this position now of a top tier guy in WWE for the last year, really dating back to the Royal Rumble in January of 2020. You know, I I was watching the Miz documentary a couple days ago, the 24, and he mentioned how nobody wants to do media days, but he volunteered to do it because he saw it as an opportunity to kind of further build his brand and become a bigger star. Do you kind of share that same mindset because you've done countless interviews over the last year do you kind of share that same mindset and seeing every interview as an opportunity to kind of make yourself a bigger star yeah 100 percent um i told Miz after i watched the documentary i try really hard in these media interviews to make sure i keep putting you across as a bad guy but then you get a show like Miz and misses and then we get this 24 and like i know his story and a lot of people backstage know his story but now the world knows that he's been through some hell in his early career and he persevered, he never gave up and he worked harder than anybody on the roster and has deserved every bit of success that he has today in the ring and outside of the ring. So I was like, mate, like, I don't know how you do it. Like, you still get yourself over as a bad guy on television, but I can't keep pushing that narrative. You've screwed it all up now. I said, I'm just going to have to say <laughs> what a hard worker you are as you put it out to the world. But yeah, I always talk about like John Cena um, as somebody that I kind of like, patterned myself after after I was released rather than learning from him in the moment when I was there on the mm-hmm. roster and maybe working within the system to better myself it took getting fired and bettering myself personally before I thought you know who's somebody that to look up to in this business what like kind of mentality do I need and I thought about John just how relentless he was and everything he did be it the media the gym in the ring just every aspect of his life just such a workaholic and Miz is exactly the same followed that same path and I said to myself, I'm going to be that guy too. And I was outside of WWE and within WWE, I knew as soon as I was given any kind of position where I was able to take the reins and get the media opportunities and they want to speak to me, I was going to take full advantage of it. The second I had that title, I was like, give me it all. I said, I'm the guy now, there's no excuse. I want every single bit of it. I get the opportunity to talk about WWE. The same time I'm talking about uh, Drew McIntyre and trying to better myself in that area this isn't work this is a, like my lifelong dream so if anybody considers what we're doing right now work then a freaking idiot go out and get a real job or talk to your family members and friends about real jobs are because i do <laughs> 
for the last year and a half, I mean, this is what you've been doing really since you won the WWE championship the first time at WrestleMania. Kind of going off that, it has in being in this top elite position in WWE, has it met, exceeded, been everything you've hoped for for your expectations as a top guy, or has it been completely different? Kind of talk about that process a little bit compared to where you were on the card, so to speak, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I love it. I love the extra responsibility. Um, I love like the responsibility on the show, like in particular, but obviously off the show and mm-hmm. the new chances I get, I learn more about the company and all the different areas and how many people it takes to keep this global juggernaut WWE running. And um, it's truly unbelievable. It gives me a greater appreciation for the company. And I get afforded opportunities to do like the really cool stuff, like the charity work and, and do the virtual hospital visits um, like for September Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, the tribute to the troops, meeting all the troops prior to the virtual event, and the virtual meet and greets uh, with the fans where we still get to interact mm-hmm. in that capacity. And the thing that always amazes me during those virtual meet and greets, if they're like, like fans are allowed a couple of questions, we get a couple of minutes, but they usually forsake them to like say thank you, which blows me away every single time. Because um, like most of them are like so hardcore, they know my story, they know the ins and out, and they literally forsake their questions to take the time to say thank you, and that really blows me away every time. But that uh, you know, real stuff, if you like, that's been the coolest thing I've been able to do the past year. The only thing I've been missing, obviously, is those live fans <laughs> in attendance. There's a, a lot of big moments over the past year I would have loved to have live with the WWE Universe in person. But um, as we talk about in the book, my journey made me the man I am today. They made me the only man to kind of lead the company during a worldwide pandemic because there's nothing I've not seen <laughs> that I've not gotten through and nothing was going to phase me when I finally reached the top, including a worldwide pandemic. Exactly. Uh, going off of, you know, WrestleMania, like you said, was their first show back with fans. I had a chance to be there as well. It was just a great event. You kicked off the show for night one um, with the WWE Championship match with Bobby Lashley. When you come out and, and the match was great, the match with Bobby Lashley was our first match back with fans in over a year, a year, a month and a day, I think it was. Um, and you get the 50-50 reaction. People were behind Bobby, but they were also behind you. Were you surprised by that? Were you expecting that? Because it seems like at this point, it's, it's hard to tell who is in, you know, extremely, I guess, over might be the right word, whatever it is. Were you surprised by that reaction or not really? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Like you mentioned I've been in the WWE title scene since January 2020. Yeah. Uh, literally a year and a half of constant Drew content. Uh, you know, Drew's generally opening the show, his main event in the show, multiple segments. He's all across social media. Like, you've seen a lot of Drew. And in the past, when that's happened, sometimes our fans, you know, look for the next cool thing and their attention span wavers. And perhaps they're not going to stay into that person because they're like, okay, we like this person, but okay, what's the new thing I want to kind of get into right now? Or even reject uh, the person that's supposed to be the good guy. So I really didn't know. All I knew was I don't mind if I'm around long enough that as long as they care one way or mm-hmm. another, as long as there's no silence and I walk out there, <laughs> uh, that's all I care about. And I'm, like I say, I roll with the punches. I adjust to the fly. When you've got fans live, you're able to do that, kind of adjust how they're reacting is how you dictate uh, in the pace of your match and your interviews, et cetera. But to walk out and just hear the reaction and cheer initially when I walked out, it just blew my mind. And I did the three, two, one with the sword, uh, which I didn't plan to do. That wasn't something I intended to do. They just the reaction blew me away. And I was just like, oh, wow, we've got live fans. I need to do something interactive. I'm going to do the three, two, one. So I was just so in the moment. I came down and say, heard them all the way to the ring. You can see when you watch it back, I'm almost at the point of tears. 
I literally was just so emotional for that moment. Bobby came out, heard the great reaction for him too. And I was like, cool, look what we're doing while Bobby's working as well. This is great. Mm -hmm. Like we're like taking up a lot of TV time <laughs> right now. So you you want to, you're, you're like uh, being on the show so much as we are, you want fans to be digging it and you want them to care and react to be emotionally involved and to hear that kind of response for each of us for that match really was like a cool moment for both of us out there. And a big surprise at the end, everyone thought I was going to win and have that moment and kind of caught them off guard when I went out to the, uh, what do you call it? The Lashley look? Um, at the oh, end, yeah, the Lashley lock, yeah. Hurt yeah, lock, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was kind of cool. Hurt lock, that's the one. I keep messing up the name. <laughs> I need to find many counters for it, but I can remember the name. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that was kind of cool too because like it's just like, the book tells you nothing ever goes to plan in Drew's life. Everyone just assumes finally Drew's going to get his moment with the fans, going to have the title, he's going to raise it up. Big firework display. This is the one after last year, not having any fans. But no, Lashley wins the match. We cement ourselves another top level main event performer in Lashley. And it just goes with the Drew story of another obstacle I have to come. Every time you knock me down, I'm going to adapt, overcome, and come back stronger. Yeah, and it just keeps it unpredictable, too. And now because of that, we have the triple threat on Sunday with yourself, Lashley, and Strowman for the WWE Championship, which is going to be a great match after all the recent interactions you guys have had on Raw. Um, it, it's got to be a tougher position to be in this position and not, you know, to go from rising up the card and, and endearing yourself to the audience. It's got to be harder now to maintain that popularity, right? Especially with how you kind of mentioned with how fans can be. Sometimes they're always looking for that next thing. Who's the new next hot star or whatever. Is this a more difficult position to be in compared to where you were again with or without fans going into WrestleMania last year? Uh, I mean, like if you look at it, like I'm not, like the fresh new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but for me now, like now everyone knows exactly who Drew McIntyre is. They know what I'm about and I'm going to continue to be Drew McIntyre. I know exactly who I am as a character. It's not far off the real person. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to continue just to be me and evolve the character, add more layers wherever I can. Like, you know, watch Raw last night. I'm always trying to add a little lesson that Drew's learned along the way at WrestleMania. I stupidly allowed myself to be distracted by MVP Turn, literally turned my head. That cost me um, the match. I wasn't able to connect with the Claymore last night. I made a promise uh, that I was going to hit that Claymore. At the point in the match, MVP tried the same stuff, was banging on the apron, trying to get my attention. Never took my eye off Bobby one time during that match. Executed the maneuver I was going for, finally hit that Claymore. So Drew's always going to learn, adapt, um, and hopefully you know the fans keep digging it. And if they don't, as long as they're emotionally invested, as long as they're making noise, we've seen our good guys in the past get massive, massive <laughs> boos, but people are emotionally invested one way or another. But I, I think it's pretty crazy that from what I gather, um, you know, people have been pretty much digging what I've been doing for like a solid year and a half. And I really appreciate that. It's not lost in me, like how difficult that is to do in today's day and age. Yeah. And from a fan's perspective, I can attest to that as well. Um, with everything that you've done over the last year during this pandemic, is there any one element? We talk about the negatives of the pandemic era, obviously, but is there any one positive from this pandemic era that you would take to when we get back fans and hopefully six months or so or whatever it might be? Something that you've seen that you want to adapt into the you know regular product when fans are back? Hmm. I got a bunch of stuff, but um, you know, off the top of my head, um, I keep doing it and I'm getting away with it. Like I break the fourth wall all the time. Like I'm always looking down the camera and I really loved when wrestlers used to do that back in the day. And I yep. noticed like in WCW in particular, a lot of the guys would, would do it and maybe too many people would do it. Um, but uh, for our show, that was the first thing I did because uh, right away I was like, we need to reach our fans. We need to connect with our fans. We don't have them in the building, especially in the performance center, warehouse, no fans. 
I was the first one looking down the lens. I did it at WrestleMania when I won mm-hmm. the title and continued it on, kind of made it part of my thing. And I, and I still use it uh, when I'm directly talking to someone or to punctuate something or to reach everyone at home and I want to deliver a specific message. And uh, not everybody does that or perhaps is supposed to do it, but I do it, continue to do it. And I probably will continue to do it because I remember what it was like when I was a kid. As I said earlier, I never lost that fan aspect. And I remember when people looked at me right down the lens, especially if it was something particularly emotional, they'll try to drive a point home. I felt it because they were talking right to me. So that's something I'm definitely going to keep going. There'll be countless other things I can't even think of right now, I'm sure. No, no, that's a good one. And uh, last question for you, Drew. How often over the last year in all these interviews that you've done, have you been asked about broken dreams when are we going to hear it again obviously the new song fits you so perfectly well we don't need to go backward but as a one-off thing how often do you get asked that on twitter and in interviews and stuff like that and is there a chance to kind of copy that myself that we could hear it as a one-off at some point down the road yeah i definitely hear about it at least <laughs> like once every few days <laughs> not at some point and leading up to wrestlemania i'll hear about it every day like every yeah. year every, and towards mania this is the year this is where he's going to do it maybe i'll drop a little teaser or something online just to encourage people <laughs> but um yeah the only time we used it was uh the build-up video for myself and bobby Roode uh, yep. for the nxt title uh, we managed to get it in there as far as i'm aware the company i uh, do have the rights um, to use the song Eventually, it will happen. I don't know when it will happen, but the people want it enough. And here's the thing. If I push for it and it does happen, I expect an arena full of people to know every single freaking word because the way everyone's tweeted me for years, you would assume everyone knows every word. So don't let me down if it happens. I'll expect everyone to have that lyric sheet learned. If it, if it silenced, then it falls on the fans and it's their fault. So we're going we're gonna to yeah, hold people I'll say to afterwards, that. like, you ruined it. We had the, chance, had the chance. We used it one time and I expected everyone to know every word so I could come in the back and go, see? Or I'm going to have to come in the back and go, I don't know what to tell you. They've bothered me for years and they just didn't care. <laughs> Hopefully at some point we can get it. But in the meantime, people can check out the book. I don't know if it comes across here on the screen, but Drew McIntyre, My Chosen Destiny, available everywhere. Target, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. There it is. Perfect. People can check it out. It's Look a great book. Names. Oh, man. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Billy Corgan, even. I mean, the hell of endorsements. It's amazing. But we also got the pay-per-view on Sunday. You're a busy man for WrestleMania Backlash on Peacock. It's going to be fantastic. Drew, thanks for the time. And I forgot to say this. I love the Pickle Rick shirt. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. I was wondering if anyone was going to notice today. <laughs> I didn't realize I was wearing it, honestly, until we went on live. Usually I'd change into a McIntyre shirt or a Tark shirt. And as soon as we went live, I went, oh, I'm still wearing my Pickle Rick shirt. <laughs> I think you were wearing thanks that for during the 20- I think you've been wearing that during the 24 or something like that too. Cause I remember you wearing that in some other like interview or video or documentary you were doing. Oh, this Maybe is a good chance. 24. Yeah. This is in my regular rotation. This guy, my Ron Swanson shirt, my resident evil shirt that always popping up in my social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice break from norm. It's fantastic and refreshing. Well, Drew, thanks again, man. This has been awesome. I appreciate the time. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks man. Until next time. Appreciate Drew for the time. It was such a blast. And as I said earlier, you guys could check out the video version of that same interview over on my YouTube channel. Went up last week, youtube.com backslash Graham GSM Matthews. And you can also check it out in an article form right now on Bleacher Report. So without further ado, let's welcome on Mr. Marceau to break down the zombies over WrestleMania backlash, the latest going on on Raw, NXT, and Dynamite from this past week. Mr. Marceau, brother, how you doing? Doing well, GSM. How are you? Doing great, brother, especially with all the stuff that's changed in the last week alone with the mask mandates and things opening up again. Concerts are running again, wrestling shows, Ring of Honor is bringing back fans. WWE are yet to officially announce anything, but I'm hearing the rumblings. They might be having fans as soon as uh, maybe Money in the Bank. Uh, I mean, it hasn't been set in stone yet, but Money in the Bank, if it's happening the weekend of July 
uh, 16th, I think it is. We might be getting fans back as soon as July, so you must be excited about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're starting to make some uh, steps towards back to pre-COVID or a little, a little BC for some smart people, so uh, <laughs> can't wait. Which means that we're one step closer to finally attending that Dynamite that we were supposed to go to in April of last year in, in Boston. Exactly, yeah. I mean, people, we never got our refund, you know, two, two times canceled. I think, uh, I'm not sure exactly when the date is. I think it's like August 15th or something or 11th. Oh, shit, I thought it was October. Maybe I'm just thinking October because we went to the last show in October. So I hope it is August. I think it's August 11th, I'm pretty sure. Oh, let's go. Okay, that's Let me exciting. Say, let me see. I have the Ticketmaster app up. Let me see. Yeah, double check because I thought it was, again, you probably said August. I get the two months confused but we went to the last dynamite nope. in october nope, nope. I, I misspoke it's september 8th Ooh. okay that's not bad it's still you know three three and a half months away so i'll be seeing you before then but i'm looking forward to it though because uh i haven't been to an AEW show, show since then and uh there's a there's a lot obviously that's changed since the last time we were there a lot more new people so i'm looking forward to, i'm looking forward to just being back at shows in general um but speaking of AEW, before we go any further with the reviews of uh backlash raw and everything else that went on this last week uh, we had the news break on Wednesday with AEW that's starting in January of 2022, and there's a lot of details here, but we'll cover the we'll cover the basics. Dynamite's moving over to TBS from TNT, along with a new one-hour show called Rampage on Friday nights at 10 p.m. Dynamite's still going to be on Wednesdays, still going to be at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Just moving from TNT to TBS due to the NBA stuff and the NHL rights and whatever, them airing games over on TNT, it's just a lot easier. Um, I don't know really what that means for the TNT title. Dave Meltzer said today or last night that it won't be rebranded. I mean, if it's not on the channel anymore, I'm not really sure why it wouldn't be, but I guess they'll address that when we get to it. Um, but yeah, your thoughts, Mr. Marceau, on the move to TBS. I, don't, I think it's more of a lateral move, if anything. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's not a great thing. I think it does the same amount of viewers that shows on TNT do, so it's not going to make a whole, not much of a difference. Um, but we are getting a new show, finally. This is the second show they've been promising since early 2020, which it's about time. I, I mean, I'm sure they're still going to be doing Dark and Dark Elevation. I really couldn't give two shits about those shows, and as someone who watches them all just to review them, uh, they're not really my cup of tea personally, but I think the second show on Fridays is well overdue because they have so much talent now, and, and it, it's coming up in August, so we still got a couple of months until it premieres, um, but yeah, they're doing Rampage on Fridays, so what are your thoughts, Mr. Marceau, on AEW's move to TBS next year and the debut of Rampage in August? Well, like you said, I, I think the move to TBS, I mean, might be a little downgrade just because, I mean, TNT is kind of more known, like... It is obviously if you're watching TV at like midnight, it's like always like movies and stuff. But like, I feel like it does have some association with sports, like you said, with NBA and um, I guess now with NHL. With now that they got the rights to that as well, um, I just feel like and TNT is kind of like it has action, so like maybe that fits more of the standard wrestling or entertainment or sport vibe. But no, I mean TBS is another big cable cable network as well so i don't think it's that big i think it's a slow smite drop just because when you think of tbs think of like family guy reruns you don't really think of wrestling but um i think it's a decent movie like i said another big cable company it's not like they're going to uh pop tv or like some random channel that no one holds it's another big cable company cable channel so not not a big deal on that one um but with the rampage i mean it's gonna be on tnt so a big network 10 o'clock on friday is a little tough i mean I don't think that's the most premier time slot. I think to them, and like I said earlier, 
it'll probably do better than like the Friday night like random reruns of uh, like older movies. So maybe that's how they're thinking of like ten o'clock. We can still get a good good rating, which most places don't really air new content at ten o'clock. So maybe that's their their thought. But I mean, that's definitely for me uh, going to be like a tape thing and watch after the fact because I just I don't stay up that late normally. And two, I just wouldn't wait till ten o'clock on a Friday to watch it. Well, obviously, so they're doing it because SmackDown airs at 8 on Fridays. They don't want to go head-to-head with it. Why would they? It makes no sense. You know, especially with SmackDown being on, you know, Fox and whatnot. It does over 2 million viewers most weeks. But if you had a choice, though, and again, I don't know too much about TV. I know 8 p.m. is primetime, obviously. But maybe I guess you just want to follow SmackDown and carry that momentum. And you're obviously not going head-to-head with 205 Live because who cares? But... Wouldn't you have done it at 7 p.m.? Do you think that makes more sense? I mean, obviously, it's like easier for us to watch because I don't really want to stay up at 10 p.m. to watch a show. But don't you think ideally 7 p.m. would be better? But again, I don't know if that really works out primetime-wise and whatever. I don't know if it would do better ratings at 7 than it would at 10. Uh, I mean, I just think for 10 o'clock, it has a better chance of being, I guess, more successful just because I feel like at 7 o'clock, there is some newer stuff like your local sport games, like, on the East Coast, usually start at 7 o'clock. So, like, that's a lot of stuff going on and, like, a lot of stuff. I just feel like 7 o'clock is more, especially on a Friday, is more of a prime time of people doing other things. So maybe they're thinking, like, like I said, for 10 o'clock on any normal network, there's nothing new on at 10. So maybe they're hoping that if they have that time slot, they'll be, like, the number one rated show at 10 in that slot. You know, that might not be amazing. It's still kind of, like, the notoriety or kind of award of being the top rated. But besides that, I, I, I would say seven o'clock seems better for most people, but I mean, their clientele is up at 10 o'clock normally. So that's probably why as well. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. In terms of days of the week, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, not even with NXT and other shows and whatever, but I guess it's just because they have sports games on those days. So I guess that's why they're going to Fridays and, Maybe I guess Fridays are better than Saturdays as opposed to putting in like a Saturday night, which I think would be cool. Uh, maybe that's why they're not doing it. But nonetheless, another note from yesterday. It was a pretty big newsworthy day yesterday. Um, several releases from NXT. No major, major names. Um, they released the problematic referee Drake uh, Wurtz. I don't, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but he had been in the news for quite a while now for a variety of things. So I don't think a lot of people were, were sad to see him go. And he seems like a good guy otherwise, unfortunately. He had a pretty good story coming in NXT. I mean, he kind of uh, had to overcome some shit, became a referee, feel good story. And he's been involved in some uh, questionable stuff over the last couple of months, let's put it that way. But he was released um, along with a few other notable names. Uh, Alexander Wolf obviously, was probably the biggest name among them. A former Imperium member, Sanity member. He was literally just on NXT two days ago, uh, losing a match to Killian Dane in two minutes, being bumped from the group. He did offer an update on Twitter saying that his contract expires on June 15th, so he's a free agent on the 16th. So WWE never outright actually said he was released. This is all just per PW Insider and Sean Rassap of Fightful, so this is all accurate information. Maybe he said he wanted to leave. I, I don't know, but he's on his way out. Um, Skylar Story, who never made her formal in-ring debut for the company. She's been on a few shows. The girlfriend of Joey Janela, some people might know her from social media. She was released after only being brought in, like, less than a year ago. Um, they also got rid of Vanessa Bourne, who's made a handful of appearances on the show over the last couple of years, and we haven't seen her in a while. As well as, uh, Jessamyn Duke, uh, who has not been seen on the show in a long time. I think they tried to, uh, reassign her to, like, not their gaming department, but, like, 
their digital department or up, up, down, down or whatever because I know she's on that channel a lot. And uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll bring her back in a different role at some point, but they let her go as well. Uh, so what were your thoughts on the latest round of releases, Mr. Marceau? I know we heard about the NXT releases being a possibility a month ago. We got them this week. Um, anyone among those names surprise you, really? And obviously there were more people, but uh, none too much of note, really. Eh, I wouldn't say anyone was really too surprising. I mean, I, th- I think we kind of figured a lot of those people haven't really been on TV or the girl that you said that was Joey Janela's girlfriend. I honestly have no idea who she is. So um, I know the referee, um, he's been in some hot water lately with some of his political um, takes and stuff like that. So I can't say I'm too far surprised. I think the company's trying to get away from that stuff. Um, I mean, Alexander Wolf, he's, he's been good. I wouldn't say he's a huge loss. So, um, and if his contract's expiring anyway soon, I, I wouldn't say it's like they downright released the guy. I mean, it was kind of bound to happen. Um, big, big Vanessa Bourne fan. Upset she, she got released. I mean, met her at WrestleMania 35 weekend. You did. Sweet, I forgot about that. Yeah. Sweet, sweet girl. Um, so, I mean, besides that, I mean, it, it's, it wasn't any like big, big people, so I can't say I'm too surprised. Um, but it's always not the greatest to see people lose their job either. Yeah, and hopefully that was just the extent of it, and there's not more to come. Um, I expected NXT releases a month ago. We didn't get any. And last year, when they did the releases, they did them all at one time. So I was a little surprised it took them this long. But, uh, yeah, the Wolf one was surprising just because I thought he was a great fit for Imperium. So I'm not really sure. I don't know, unless there was some backstage drama there, or unless he wanted to go, I'm not really sure why you would let him go, but it is what it is, I suppose. Um, let's get into WrestleMania Backlash from Sunday. We won't go match by match here. I thought I, I completely agree with the text that you sent me. I thought overall, it was a very enjoyable show. And the part that people are going to focus on the most is the dumb zombie shit, which is absolutely justified in being shit on because it was terrible... I, again, I know they were doing it to promote the Army of the Dead movie featuring Dave Batista, WWE, or soon-to-be WWE Hall of Famer. Um, just the way they went about it was awful. The wrestlers having to sell for it was awful. Everything about it was awful. Um, but I thought overall, though, Backlash was a good show. So what were your thoughts, Mr. Marceau? Are you on the same wavelength as me and that you enjoyed Backlash and it was really just the zombie shit that took away from it? Um. So luckily, I watched the show and... And then once I kind of saw the zombie stuff, I, I kind of tuned out from there. Didn't watch. <laughs> I saw that what was happening. I knew where we were going. Just like didn't watch the next like 15 minutes. Saw I was over with to jump back on and enjoy the show. So I didn't actually see any of the zombie stuff. I just saw what was coming, avoided it so I wouldn't hate the rest of the show. And luckily I didn't see it. So on my ass, but I thought the show was really good. Yeah, I mean, again, I, th- I, I said this last week. We were going over the predictions that I thought it would be a solid show from an in-ring standpoint, and I thought it was. The thing with this company, and I feel like AEW had the same thing, and it's, I mean, that wasn't really their fault. The shit botched at the end of Revolution, that's all that pay-per-view is going to be remembered for. This was 100% their fault. Why they even thought this was a good idea, I have no idea. You can find other ways to promote the movie, bring in Batista, maybe he's busy, have him zoom in. I don't fucking know. Anything was better than this shit. Um, and no one remembers anything about Priest and Miz, which the match itself, if you don't count the zombie shit, was fine. And it was even a match that no one gave a shit about anyway, just because we've already seen Priest beat Miz a bunch of times in the last month or two. So, I don't know, that was just a complete waste of time. But you take that match off the show, and you you can't. You, you, you can't grade it on a curve without the match there. But I did think almost every other match on the show, there were five other matches, and every single one of them I thought was good to grade. Um, including, I, I thought even Bianca and Bailey had a good match, and that wasn't even their best outing against each other, kind of a botch finish. 
But we had new tag team champions crowned. Ziggler and Rude uh, are losing the belts to Dominic and Rey Mysterio in a very good match. Uh, I didn't think we'd get the title change here. You did. You predicted it accurately. Uh, we had the Raw Women's Championship triple threat, Rhea Ripley retaining against Asuka and Charlotte Flair. We had the two title match triple threats, or the two title main events, rather, uh, with Lashley beating Strowman and McIntyre. Great match, I thought. That was the perfect Haas fight. And then Roman Reigns and Cesaro for the Universal Championship. So, any thoughts on those matches specifically? Um, I, I thought, again, the top two matches were great. The zombie shit was kind of hard to get over, but uh, the other matches I thought were really good. So, any other thoughts on the other matches on the show? I thought it was good. I thought the show was fun. I um, I liked the Mysterios versus uh, Ziegler and Rude. I thought it told a good story and thought it was very well wrestled. Uh, Bianca and Bailey was probably like you said on uh, like hashtag probably the weakest match of the, on the show. But I still think it was a good match. I just think Bianca losing was never in doubt. Um, the the two triple threats from Raw and were both really well done. I mean. We all kind of figured Oscar would be the one eating the pen, and we all kind of thought Braun was going to be the one eating the pen. So, very predictable outcomes, but I still think those are two fun matches as well. And the main event was the best guy in the business right now, Roman Reigns, just putting on a clinic as usual. I loved how um, the Usos didn't get involved. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, we kind of, it's kind of run its course a little bit at this point that they're always getting involved. So, Roman kind of winning clean was nice. That was surprising. We saw the Usos earlier in the evening backstage, which I thought would set the stage for maybe Jay interfering and Jimmy stopping him. I thought we would be getting the Uso versus Uso match, and we still could. But it looks like, based off what happened here, Cesaro loses clean, doesn't tap out, doesn't get pinned. He kind of passed out to the guillotine, which I thought was a great finish. Cesaro protected the defeat, had a great showing, happy to see him get his main event match, finally one-on-one for a world championship. But he was beaten decisively. Not only that, though, he was attacked by Seth Rollins afterward. So that seemingly spells the end of Cesaro and Roman. And now you would have to imagine, come the next pay-per-view, which we'll get to in a second, do you expect it to be Rollins and Cesaro one more time and then Roman and Jimmy Uso most likely kind of following the same format of Jay and Roman from late last year? Yeah, it seems like that's where they're going. I don't hate that because clearly there's still some dissension between the Usos. You can have Roman beat him kind of go fall in line with with Jimmy and then they can go uh, for the tag titles after there. So um, I, th- I think that's where they're going and I think it's the right place to go at this point. Do you think we get Roman, Cesaro, and Rollins in a triple threat or do you think, again, Rollins and Cesaro kind of branch off and go back and do their own thing? I think Rollins and Cesaro should do their own thing. I'm kind of tired of uh, triple threats. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I forgot about that. We got two on this show and we're getting another one, a double or nothing. Um, yeah, no, I would agree. And I think Roman and Jay, or Roman and Jimmy, rather, makes sense for the next pay-per-view, which is going to be Hell in a Cell, which is being brought back. Um, after only, we got it back in October, but it's replacing the June pay-per-view from last year, which was Backlash, which we got in May this year, and May of last year was Money in the Bank. So it looks like they're moving Hell in a Cell to June to have Money in the Bank in July before we get SummerSlam in August, so probably we can have fans <clears throat> for um, Money in the Bank in July, which would make sense, so... Any thoughts on Hell in the Cell being moved to June this year? Obviously, it's a completely pointless pay-per-view. Instead of uh, our old catchphrase being, oh, it's October, time for Hell in the Cell. Now it's going to be, oh, it's June, time for Hell in the Cell. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it really matters where you put it. I think the pay-per-view is stupid anyways. I do like how Money in the Bank's kind of the last show before SummerSlam. Kind of like spice it up and have a little bit more, I guess, uncertainty going to that show. It's like, oh, are they going to cash in at SummerSlam? Or just kind of... Give it a little bit more pizzazz. I feel like after you have it, and then you have like 
Payback or one of those random shows is kind of just a waste of time. So I do like how Money in the Bank will seemingly be the last pay-per-view before SummerSlam. But Fail in the Cell, TLC, all those shows, just please get rid of them. Bring back Unforgiven and like Armageddon. So let's call it a day. Judgment Day? Please. No WrestleMania backlash. It's just backlash in my book. But, uh, you know, I would agree. So what do you think the Cell matches are at the pay-per-view? Do you think they do Roman and Jimmy inside Hell in the Cell? Like, I know they did that with Jay, but... At least they had the previous match at Clash of Champions to set that one up. Like, do you do Rollins and Cesaro inside the cell? Do you do uh, Sasha and Bianca? Do you do Bailey and Bianca? Uh, Lashley and McIntyre seems like a lock, but what do you do inside the cell this year? Um, That's a good one. Huh? I'm not really too sure what you do. I, I, I think you could probably do Jimmy and, and, and Roman. I think that would be pretty cool. It's kind of the same dynamic from last year and kind of the same kind of I beat you down, you now or my basically bitch so i like that aspect for raw i mean i really don't want to see like drew and braun um or drew and bobby i just they don't want to see that nothing with sheamus i don't know raw's just a fucking mess so i don't know what they do with raw but i, I if i'm gonna say one i'd say roman and uh and jimmy or jay or whoever it is I'm definitely in the minority here, but I'm totally fine with Bobby and Drew inside this cell just because it makes sense. I know we've already seen it several times by this point. They did it on Raw. They did it at Mania. We got the backlash last year. Like, I get that, but, like, if there's any match to do inside the cell, I think it would be that one just to blow it off and hopefully move on. Do you maintain that Lashley holds on to the championship? He doesn't lose it to Drew. I fear that Drew might win it back on Sunday, and it's not because I don't like Drew, but I think it was too soon to lose for Lashley to lose. Um, do you maintain that same thought process that we talked about last week where you think Drew is probably going to lose the pay-per-view to set up a gender feud for the summer? Easily. Yeah, we didn't get gender on Raw this week, but I imagine that's where we're going with it. Um, but before we get to Drew and Bobby, we had a, uh, we we're probably going to have another championship defense on Raw coming up either this week or the week after. With Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston had a big night on Raw this week. He not only beat Randy Orton, a familiar foe, obviously, he also became the second person in a year to pin... Bobby Lashley in singles competition, which is huge for him. So, um, or maybe third behind Drew. And Riddle pinned him a couple months ago too. But uh, yeah, Kofi Kingston's big night. Clearly this was designed to be, you know, a shock win, set up a one-off title match, I would imagine, for an upcoming episode of Raw. Uh, what were your thoughts on Kofi Kingston's big night this past week? At least it's someone different in the title picture, if only for a little bit, I will say that much. And at least it's someone that's it's not like, oh, it's a, you know, just be, when I say a different face, I'm not saying like put in fucking, again, Jinder Mahal or someone like that. At least Kofi is someone new that we haven't seen in the title picture for a while. That to me makes sense because he's still popular and he never got that one-on-one rematch from a few years ago. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, I think, I think um, it's definitely something new. I, I mean, I don't think he's going to win, but it is a nice little change up in pace. Um, Kofi has some credibility and he had a good night on Monday. So it makes sense. Yeah, I thought overall, I thought Raw was a decent show, um, better than it has been, <clears throat> which again isn't saying much. <clears throat> Jeez, I'm fucking dying over here. Um, talking about Raw, I guess it's fitting, but I thought it was a solid show. It was better than it has been for a while. Some of the matches we got on the show were fine. Sheamus and Ricochet, that was well-wrestled. Asuka and Charlotte had a good match. Even though Charlotte lost, it's safe to say she's still being groomed for a Raw Women's Championship opportunity, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, going into SummerSlam, I expect it's going to be Rhea and... Charlotte. Yeah, no, I fully expect it. We probably are going to get it maybe even at the June pay-per-view. I wouldn't do it inside the cell quite yet, but um, I, I could see them doing that at the June pay-per-view too. 
there really isn't much more from Raw worth talking about. I don't think it was a terrible show, but there wasn't enough good stuff happening for it to really warrant a full-on review. I will say that we got new tag team champions last week on SmackDown with Natalya and Tamina beating Nia and Shayna. We didn't talk about this because it happened on SmackDown. We don't usually discuss the SmackDown stuff, but uh, what were your thoughts on that and their successful title defense on Raw this week? No comment. <laughs> I honestly don't care. The whole stupid, it's stupid, and then the whole Lily thing. I told you last week, I am beyond over this. It is just so stupid. The fire coming out of the stupid thing, like, it just does nothing for me, GSM, and I really don't care. It's just the tag team division for the women is almost as meaningless as the guys. Can we please move on? And the whole Alexa Bliss stuff is just stupid. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Lily stuff lately. I thought it was not good this week, especially since you would think in taking the titles off of Nia and Shayna, which was long overdue. I don't care about Natalia and Tamina, but it's again, it's something different, I suppose, because Nia and Tamina or Nia and Shayna ran their course a while ago. I was gonna say, ideally, it would set up Shayna for hopefully bigger and bigger, bigger and better things on her own. But it became pretty apparent on Raw that's not gonna be the case, considering she got pinned in like two minutes. After a distraction from Lily. I mean, she's a glorified loser at this point. Yeah, I just I have no idea what's going on with this. I don't care, and it's immediately fast-forward now. On the bright side, we got two back-to-back good shows this week with NXT and Dynamite. We'll talk about NXT first. The NXT was a really good show this week, as was Dynamite and setting up Double or Nothing. Uh, we have no set matches for TakeOver, which is in less than a month, which is weird. Um, you kind of see where they're going with some stuff, but they're setting up a lot of stuff for the show lately. Like... We got the Women's Championship defended last week, the North American title this week, NXT Championship next week, Cruiserweight title a week ago as well, um, t- tag titles next week too, so I-, I don't know, it's weird. I'm not really sure why they're saving some of the stuff for TakeOver, um, but I thought this week was a good show. Really, the highlights, the main event obviously, Bronson re knocking off Johnny Gargano in a steel cage match to win the NXT North American Championship, in my opinion, long overdue. Bronson, uh, Bronson Reed has needed this run for a while now, so... Uh, I like the match. I hate the interference. I hate the steel cage interference bullshit. It should prevent it, not encourage it. But overall, though, I thought it was an entertaining match with the right result. Oh, easily. Bronson Reed's been ready to break out since uh, no pun intended the breakout tournament. I think it was two years ago. I mean, yeah. I think he's got a great look. He's definitely matured and grown into his own and definitely knows his character at this point. But uh, like you said, I hate the whole, like, we're going to put in a steel cage and it's going to... It's going to keep away interference. Like you said, it more invites it than actually do anything to stop it. Um, but that was a good match. I think Bronson Reed obviously winning was the right result. Um, I'm assuming Gargano will probably get a rematch somewhere down the line, but they also did tease that uh, Swerve Scott would be interested in like whoever won that match too. So you could do that him and Bronson maybe in your house, but maybe they wait a little bit down the line. But I'm definitely interested in that uh, when that materializes. Yeah, no, Scott kind of pushes cool, too. Uh, Hit Row had a quick squash. They won that. Uh, the Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase stuff continues. I've been digging that. We talked about last week or the week before. We probably would expect DiBiase to manage Grimes, right? You probably think that that's where this is going? Because I'm not really sure what the end game would be. Yeah, I'm not sure end game would be either. I think it'd probably be him managing Grimes. I mean, what else could he do? Yeah, I'm not really sure where else they go with it. But I am digging it for as long as it lasts for whatever it is. Um, did you catch the prime target video for Balor and Champa? Not Champa, Balor and Cross next week. I did not. Oh, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It was a great video package. Got me hyped for next week. They do great jobs. They they just do a fantastic job with that every single time. So, 
definitely check that out. Um, yeah, again, I, I just thought it was a good show. We, we, we say this every single week. There's really not a lot to discuss with NXT just because it's a very good show most weeks, but nothing like really worth breaking down. Uh, Tony Storm and Zoe Stark, I thought was a good match. Tony winning was long overdue. And we got the Frankie Min Monet world premiere or whatever next week. So, uh, any other thoughts on the show aside from that stuff? No, that was a good show. You said that the, uh, Tony Storm match was really good. Great to see her finally get a win. That was well overdue. Um, even with the, the tension and seemingly feud with Ciampa and Thatcher versus uh, Grizzly Young Vets, I mean, I thought that was very well done as well. It gets, uh, Legado del Fantasma win and then kind of gives, starts, sets up another feud there. And I mean, I think NXT has been firing on all cylinders lately. And, uh, like you said, good show is nothing like too, too in depth to talk about, but they're just weekly good shows. So yeah. can't complain on that aspect. Completely agree. Uh, we get to Dynamite real quick before we wind down here. I thought, again, I thought it was a good show. We already talked about it a little bit in depth before uh, we started here. But again, I thought I did a good job of building up Double or Nothing. Uh, I know you caught most of the show, actually, more than usual. We had a tag team title main event, Young Bucks and Varsity Blondes, uh, Moxley and Kingston picking up a win, a lot of hype for Double or Nothing, Cage and Seidel had a good match, um, Sheeta knocking off Rebel, the Inner Circle, um, Pinnacle, Stadium Stampede Challenge, blah, 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 being accepted. So, And also Serena Deeb and Red Velvet having a pretty good match as well. A go-go having a showcase match. Archer interrupting Miro. There was a lot that happened on the show this week, but almost all of it I thought was good. Um, so in a nutshell, Mr. Marceau, what were your thoughts on Dynamite from Wednesday? I thought it was a pretty good show. Uh, we talked about before. Um, I thought some stuff was good. I loved the Pinnacle um, kind of backstage segment there at the restaurant. I thought that was very well done. Um, we'll see what happens out of that. Um, the, the inner circle one was fine for what it was. I mean, it was a little overdrawn. I mean, you could have probably keep that down a little bit, but that thought that was good as well. Like you said, setting up the match for Stadium St. Pete. They keep saying it's going to be serious, so we'll see what happens. Um, they keep saying it's not going to be like last year, so it's like a bunch of like tomfoolery. So we'll see what happens, see if it's like an actual brawl. I'm interested to see what they do. Like, it's, like we said last week, is it going to be in front of fans or is it going to be pre-taped? I'm um, not sure exactly how they're going to do that, but I, I think it'll be good for what it is. I, I, I think it's slam dunk inner circle wins. I, I, I don't want that to happen, unfortunately. Um, I just think it's also funny, too, when Jericho is like, oh, we've done so much together. Like, this would be a big deal if we lost. Like, we really haven't done much together, but um, it is what it is. I just think the Pinnacle is supposed to be like this big new group. Like, they should be getting wins and making them mean like they're more something. Because if they lose, then we're going to have to have another match on the line. And I mean, I, I guess, but I, I think Pinnacle winning here just puts them over as a big, big deal and kind of going to bigger and better things. I don't think then the inner circles would run its course at this point. They've, they, they're better on their own, honestly, at this point, especially with Guevara and uh, LAX. I mean, I think they're way better by themselves than in this group because they haven't done much of anything. So we'll see what happens. I think that'll be a good match though. Um, the Omega stuff. I mean, that was kind of more of a comedy thing with telling Pockets that he didn't have to get a match. And then Pack just had, like, a decent backstage segment as well. So, mm-hmm. I guess further than that, I mean, I don't think anyone's clamoring for that match. It'll be what it is. I mean, Omega's going to win. Um, I just don't really care about the other two guys at this point. They haven't really given us a reason to care either. So, that's that. Um Moxley and them, I mean, I, th- I think, obviously, at this point, we're going to get them and Young Bucks at... At double or nothing, I assume that Young Bucks are going to win there. Um, I just, I mean, they just won the belt, so it'd be kind of weird if they took the belts off them that quickly. But we'll see what happens. I think that's been pretty well done. I'm not the biggest Bucks fan, but I think 
with Moxley and Kingston have done pretty good work with them, so I can't, can't complain on that aspect. The governor, I mean, <laughs> absolutely slugging a Austin gun, I think it was. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, I, I mean, I think he's very appealing. I just think he's with the wrong people. Like, imagine if he was, like, a good guy with Cody. I, I think if you, like, switch them around, like, give uh, give QT fucking shoddy Lee Johnson and give Cody the governor. I feel like, he, like, yeah, he seems like a like a like a heel at heart, but I feel like he'd come off like as bigger. Like, if Cody had eventually turned heel, which he teased like a thousand times, and imagine if he had like a go go as like his like, I don't know if I would say heavy, but like he was doing his like bet dirty work. Mm-hmm. Like a go go was like one punch and had Cody. Like, I feel like he'd be feel like like such a much bigger deal if he was with Cody than with QT. QT looks like a <laughs> guy that cleaned your shoes at a bowling alley. So I, I think he just did my taxes last week. Yeah, he looks horrible, and I just like I said, I think he'd he'd fit a lot more better with Cody. Yeah, the thing—it's funny you mention that, but you, you can't do that though because you know he's from England and Cody's the American Dream. How dare you betray your own country? Your own country. We could never see those two interact. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like I said, I think Cody, if he eventually turned heel, it would be the governor would fit with him perfectly. Like I said, imagine Cody like if he could go for the world title too. Like, oh. I think that would be a money pairing. Like I said, Cody's like needs help, just pulls out the governor, one shot, knocking out in the belly. I mean, <laughs> come on. Like, how much heat would that get? Like, if Omega was a yeah. guy and the governor's once punched him, I mean, I'm telling, I'm trying to teach them how to book correctly, but yeah. instead he's with QT, and I feel like he'll win, and, like, where do you go from there? I just feel like there's little legs at this point. I mean, he beating Cody would be a big deal, but I just – don't there's no there's really no room to go in with him because all the champions are heels right now they'd rather do usa versus england for some strange reason like it's fucking 1876 or some shit like, come <laughs> on man who gives a shit um, yeah i think the match will be interesting we've talked about that before we'll get into predictions next week um i don't know i like the governor a lot his in-ring skills are are still to be determined just because we have not seen him in action at really at all yet because he's only done a couple punches and that's it um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, again, the same thing with NXT, really not a lot to praise from this week. Not a lot to shit on. Really, I thought it was just a perfectly good wrestling show. Um, I like Cage and Seidel setting up Adam Page and Brian Cage for the pay-per-view. We already knew that. I think I already asked this, but do we get Moxley and Kingston as the new tag team champions at Double or Nothing? Because I think we do. Uh, I just said I think it's going to be Young Bucks, but I mean, it could be. I, 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 I don't know. I feel like the Young Bucks would look kind of foolish if they lost already, but who knows? I, I, I like Moxley and Kingston, but it's like another makeshift tag team, and we were like shoved down our throats when the company started that they're going to have the best tag team division mm-hmm. ever. And three of like the four champions of all time so far have been makeshift tag teams, so. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I agree. It's not the greatest track record, but hopefully they will improve, they will improve upon it in due time. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Come double or nothing. I'm looking forward to the show. Uh, before then, I am seeing you on Sunday, but so by the time we talk next week, we will have uh, crossed paths, which I'm looking forward to, Mr. Marceau. But uh, yeah, this has been great as always, brother. I'm looking forward to next week. But uh, yeah, any any parting words before we go off the air here? Uh, bring your punting skill on Sunday. <laughs> Can't wait to beach in, uh, in miniature golf. We can get some pizza afterward. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, take care, Mr. Marceau. Have a great one, and uh, enjoy being unmasked, I guess, to some of these events going forward, which is exciting. Uh, good stuff coming up. But uh, yeah, take care, Mr. Marceau. Catch your ass down the road. Later, GSM. See you, brother.